0: As you're turning in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21, I want to take a moment to thank you, Strong Tower Bible Church, for the way in which you showed up on Wednesday night for the Bless Fest. I was so proud of you, so thankful for you to see all of the work that you had put in in order to make someone's day, someone's journey a little bit better. Uh, You were there and I'm so grateful and uh, people's stomachs were fed, clothes were placed on their backs and children were having the time of their lives community was coming together, the police department was there, quote-unquote black churches, white churches, multiracial churches, the church came together to serve. And uh, man, it's in moments like that, I'm I'm always thankful to be a part of this family, as Elder Aubrey was saying, that we're part of this family, but to see that the faith manifests in works It's just not talk. And uh, I'm grateful for you. And to be able to say to people, yeah, we'll we'll be right back out again in August uh, doing the same thing, serving and helping people. So for our golden girls who uh, made sure the trailer was stocked and ready and clothes that uh, you would put on your own grandchildren were out there to be disseminated amongst the people. Um, As you passed, I just want to say thank you Job well done to all of you. Let's give Jesus some praise. Come on, We're out. And for our general who uh, tells us what to do and where to go, Sister Lasagna, thank you for your organization skills. Amen. It's good stuff, man. Well, uh, it is wedding week at my house. <laughs> wedding week. Uh, next Sunday, on the 12th, my son will marry uh, the lady who will be his rib. They're sitting right over there, Dante and Aaron, next Sunday. Because you won't see them next week. They're not coming to church next week. Um, And so, yeah, it's been a great journey already. And uh, this is our second child getting married. And uh, wow, what an honor. This is now uh, pray for them because y'all know how it works. You know, stuff pops up from nowhere that you didn't plan for and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I think they're good. They have their license, the marriage license. And I mean, we're ready. I mean, hey, we're ready to do this thing. My son is nodding his head like, yeah, yeah. Um, his grandfather, my father-in-law is going to preach next Sunday so I can focus. I am officiating uh, the ceremony. So he'll come and he'll preach. And uh, maybe he'll tell the story when he drove all night long when Dante was born. Just to look at him and then go to sleep. He, he drove 12 hours from Virginia just to see his first grandchild. And so he'll be here next week gushing, I'm sure. So um, uh, my apologies up front right now. Because we could not invite the whole church to the wedding. It's going to be in Dixon, Tennessee, Um, and and we couldn't invite everyone. So please don't get upset with us if you didn't get an invitation to come. But pray for us, please. Uh, A lot of money is going in. No, no, well, pray for us, please. (laughs) No, if we could have invited everyone, we we would have. But... uh, but you understand how it works. And then also, um, I humble myself. Um, I am not a hundred percent today. I got hit with some kind of sinus infection and uh, been fighting it for a few days now. And I am a bad patient. I am an impatient patient. And uh, started off with my son, that dude got a cold and passed it on to the rest of the people in the house. We tested for COVID, no one has COVID. Uh, but the sinus thing, man, so I'm not my hundred uh, percent, but, uh, God can still use me though. I'm limping and cause, cause ain't nothing wrong with my mind. You know, it's just my nose and stuff. <laughs> so my hands are outstretched and uplifted. Um, I know every Sunday, every Sunday I preach, Yet alone every day that I live, I know that I need his grace. Um, Well, when you're you're not yourself that much more, you need Jesus. So I'm in a good place because the weak are strong. So, uh, but there's a word today. And I also think not only is some of this physical, obviously, but I think some of it is spiritual because of what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, But man, I'm going to preach this. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a good daddy, a good father now, Lord, speak to us through your word. Thank you for our Levite who has led us today to remind us, Lord, that we want to receive, we need to receive manna from on high from you today. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, feed us today. We thank you for your grace, your love, your power, your might, your magnificence. And today, help us to see what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, we've been talking about toxicity for the past several weeks. And um, today we're going to close this series by talking about toxic deliverance. We've been talking about toxic husbands, toxic wives. I even had a sermon called Toxic Children, but I didn't get a chance to preach it. Uh, but, but, but toxicity is not only in Scripture, but unfortunately, it's in the world. And even worse, it's in us because all of us have sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a person on the face of the earth who does good and doesn't sin. So there's a level of toxicity in all of us, a level of poison, uh, of things that are deadly and fatal in all of us. And it's but by the grace of God that those things have not erupted into things that have destroyed us literally. So it's only by his mercy. So today um, we're going to close by looking at the hope for all of our toxicity. And that's Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross. So, fellas, if you could put the first image up. How many of you know what this sign is? It is called a caduceus. We've seen it before. It's called a caduceus. And when you get medicine, as we've been taking medicine in my house this past week, so many of the packages have this image on it. And the caduceus is the symbol of Hermes. And it features two snakes on a winged staff. Within Greek mythology, Hermes was the messenger, herald, or spokesman of the gods, and he wore winged sandals. Mercury is his Roman equivalent. The caduceus became a symbol of medicine in medieval Europe in the fourth century. And in 1902, the United States Army Medical Corps adopted the symbol of the caduceus, causing it to become the sign of modern medicine in the United States of America. Unfortunately, it has been determined that the caduceus is the wrong symbol for medicine. The correct symbol is the rod of Asclepius, which has only one snake, And no wings. Can you show that please? That that is believed to be the proper symbol of medicine. The rod of Asclepius. Or Asclepius. It has been observed that the rod of Asclepius has the more ancient and authentic claim of being the emblem of medicine. Asclepius, the Greek deity of healing and medicine, carried a serpent-entwined staff. So your question may be a lot like mine. And that is, what does a serpent on a staff or two serpents on a staff or a rod have to do with medicine? Okay, I know you've mentioned these Greek gods, whether it's Hermes or Asclepius, who are messengers or gods of healing. Okay, is that where all of this comes from? And in some respects, yes. But if we go a little deeper, and if we go into the Bible, we really see where Greek mythology borrowed this idea from, and that's why we come to Numbers chapter 21. This is the 40th year that the children of Israel have been walking through the wilderness of Zen or walking through the desert on their way into the promised land. They had to walk 40 years because God was upset with the generation of Moses. Because after he brought them through the Red Sea, spies were sent into the land of Canaan, the promised land to spy it out. They stayed there for 40 days. They brought fruit from the land, came back and talked to the people and said, The land truly is flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants over there and we can't do this. However, two of the 12 spies spoke up, Joshua and Caleb, and said, yes, we can do it because God is our covering. God is our protector. Let's go. Those giants are really grasshoppers in the sight of God, but we are making ourselves look like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants. God is with us. But because of the prevailing report of the 10, the people began to moan and cry out and wanted to select a new leader and go back to which God then came down and he spoke in the situation. He said that, um, I'm going to give you what you've been asking for. You're concerned about your children? Well, I'll make sure your children make it in, but you won't make it in. And I'm going to have you march in this wilderness in circles for 40 years, one year for each day that the spies were over there as a means of discipline to this generation. So Joshua would take the people in and not Moses and that generation. So they've been marching now. We come to Numbers 21 for 40 years um, in circles, if you will, skirting mountains over and over again. And uh, Moses' brother, Aaron, has passed in chapter 20, and he could not make it into the promised land. Moses could not make it in because he struck the rock twice when he should have spoken to it. So God was hallowed amongst the people by disciplining the leaders, Moses and Aaron. And so now, as they're waiting, if you will, because in a few moments, Moses is going to ascend the mountain, and he's going to die, and then Joshua will take leadership and move forward. But in between that time, we have an episode with snakes. We have an episode with snakes in the 40th year. And so look at verse 4. The Bible says, then they journeyed from Mount Hor. Again, this is the mountain that Aaron was buried on, but it says, then they journeyed. The then is connected to the first three verses because they were being attacked by an enemy as they were doing their marching. And this enemy, who was a Canaanite, had taken many of the children of Israel captive And so the Israelites made a vow to God and said, God, if you give us the victory, we will completely wipe out these folks. And so God heard their prayer, the scripture says. Verse three, and the Lord listened to the voice of of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. Now we come to verse four, then. So after answered prayer, after a victory, then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. So again, they're, they're going in circles. So they're back to the Red Sea again. Well, what happened at the Red Sea 40 years prior? The miracle of miracles for that generation God parting the Red Sea, causing the floor of the sea to be dry, for them to walk through with two walls of water on both sides, and then to see God bring the water down on the enemy while they were safe on the other side of the shore. So the the Red Sea was that generation's Calvary, if you will. And so answered prayer and a beginning miracle that they were quick to forget. It says that they went around the land of Edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. In spite of answered prayer, in spite of being reminded of a miracle, their souls were discouraged on the way. Verse five, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. So watch this now, the soul is discouraged and it leads to negativity coming out of their mouths. Isn't that what happens when we get discouraged? We start saying things that we shouldn't say, speaking against people that we shouldn't speak against. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and just says things it shouldn't say. Now here's the deal. When they speak against God and against Moses, they're going to repeat a, 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 a complaint that they've been saying for 40 years meaning that they hadn't grown, meaning that they really hadn't learned their lesson. Because there would be various intervals along the way where they would complain about not having water. And God was the God who parted the water. But it was a test of their faith, and they failed over and over again and complained, we don't have any water. Don't you know that God knows you need water in the desert? Don't you remember when he gave you water out of a rock in the desert so next time you get to a place where you need water, why are you complaining? Don't you remember what he did? Why are you complaining? Why don't you pray? Because that's what you did in the first three verses. But we get to these places and we act like we haven't seen God do anything before and we start complaining. It's the same song again. And when we complain and speak against God, It is an indictment against his goodness. When I complain, it's an indictment against God and his goodness. How can I complain when we just said he's a good, good father? But it's in us. It was in them. And they complained and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Do y'all know another song? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. The manna from heaven? The corn flakes from heaven? <laughs> when y'all first saw it, y'all were like, oh, wait a minute now. It's sweet. It, it, the way it's coming down, just sitting on the ground, and God provided for us. But now you loathe what you once prayed for. You prayed for bread. God gave you bread. But now you're loathing what he provided. Remember when you prayed... For that ministry, and now you're complaining about it. Remember when you prayed for those children, and now you're complaining about it. Remember when you prayed for that spouse, and, and now you compl- you're loafing. Oh, your God. You prayed to go to school, you prayed for that job, and now you're loafing it. It's worthless bread. Verse 6 So the Lord said, Fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Hold on, time out, time out. Some of us don't like this God here, (laughs) who, as some would say, uh, the the, the God of the Christians need to put on a throwback jersey and go back to this day right here of uh, 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 God-sent snakes. Okay, Now, now, now this is the same God who also sent plagues amongst the people when they complain. You know, now I know we're in the age of favor. That's what Jesus said. He rolled the scroll up and said, you know, this is the day of the Lord's favor. But the judgment is coming again. But, but let's just look back at this here and just say, now, let's not play with God. Because as it has been said, you can pick your sin, but you can't pick your consequences. They didn't know that this time God was going to say, you know what? Let me send some serpents out there. And he did. And the fiery serpents, fiery means venomous or poisonous serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. People said, man, I don't like that God. Well, 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 well this is God. And God is not, his godness is not based on whether or not he passes an approval rating with us. He is to be feared. He is to be respected. When you say the bread is worthless, you're saying that the God who gave the bread is worthless. Parents, when you have kids who walk around and they're unappreciative and they're talking back, you're not just going to take that if you're a good parent. There will be some consequences and repercussions up in here because I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to raise you up right, and I'm not going to spare the rod and spoil you. Because the world don't need no more spoiled children out here. We need some children who've been disciplined in love and grace and truth, that there are some consequences. And so the fiery serpents come, they bite the people, and many of them died. Verse 7, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. There it is. They got the message. They got spanked. We sin. We sin corporately. We have sinned, for we have what? Spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. They knew they messed up. And that's what we need in this country today. We love to quote 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive their sin, then will I heal the land. We like to quote it, but we don't like to apply it. We know there's a problem in the land with gun violence. But we keep talking about thoughts and prayers. No, 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 no. Faith without works is dead. Thoughts and prayers without legislation is dead. Children are dying. But we don't care. But we quote 2 Chronicles 7:14, but we won't repent. But at least these folks repented and said, We sin, man. Please ask God to take the serpents away from us because God gives grace to the humble, but it's the proud he knows from afar off. So this country wants to be a Christian nation. Well, be a Christian nation and do something Christian and repent. So the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. In other words, make a venomous serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So I think I have an image of that, of Moses with this serpent. Let me see if I can unpack this right. You get bit by a snake, You look to the image of a snake, and you will live, okay? Moses prayed, God, they said they've sinned. Take the snakes away, okay? But in order for me to take the snakes away, they've got to really grasp the depth of their sin. So Moses makes a bronze snake or a bronze serpent. Why is it bronze? because he had just been given all of these instructions about the tabernacle. And they built the tabernacle, and they're marching with the tabernacle from place to place. And everything in the tabernacle made of bronze is associated with sin and judgment. So in the tabernacle, uh, uh, the altar... Of sacrifice is made of bronze so that when the people are coming to God asking for their sins to be atoned for the animal would be slain and burned on a bronze altar with bronze utensils so Moses knows anything associated with sin is with bronze so I'm going to make a snake that's bronze I'm gonna put it up on a pole so that everyone can see it when they are bitten by these venomous snakes So in order to be healed, in order to be saved and kept from death, you have to look at the thing that is killing you. You see, today we want deliverance without looking at the stuff that's killing us. We want to have a Christianity that does not judge sin. We want to have a Christianity that doesn't even have sin. And we wonder why there hasn't been a transformation in our lives. Because the Bible says if you confess your sins. But if I think it's a mistake and not a sin or just, you know, that's just the way that I am. I can't get free or delivered from it until I call it what God calls it. Okay, let me go a little bit on this here. It's not the symbol that saves you. It's the look of faith to the symbol that saves you. It's the look of faith to God to save you by looking at the symbol that reminds you that it was your sin that sent the serpents in the first place and it's the serpents that's killing you because of your sin. So you need mercy. So look at the snake on a pole made of bronze and you will live. That was God's solution. Moses prayed, Lord, take the snakes away. Okay, make a snake. Make it bronze. And that's how we'll deal with when the snakes bite them. Matter of fact, we're not even taking the snakes away. We're taking away the effects of the snakes when they bite the people of God. And when Moses lifted that serpent up on a pole, and it probably had to have a cross beam on it in order for it to rest there. Theologians see that this is a picture or a type of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, go to John chapter 3 as we close. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. And he's telling Nicodemus he's got to be born again. He doesn't tell him he needs to join the church. He doesn't tell him he needs to be part of a political process or party. He tells him, man, you have to be born again from above. And he gives some illustrations of childbirth and things like that for Nicodemus to try to grasp spiritual truths. Then we come to verse 14, and this is what Jesus says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you remember what the Pentateuch talked about in the book of Numbers, that when Moses lifted up the serpent people who were bitten by it because of their sin could be healed by looking at this brazen serpent, this bronze, brass serpent. So just as Moses did that, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up on a cross. And just as the look of faith saved the people under Moses, so now the look of faith to Jesus will save those of us on this side of Calvary. We will be saved by the gaze of faith at the one who was crucified. So number one, when I look at this, I see that Jesus believes in the Bible because he's quoting from the Bible. And we got so many people today that don't believe the Bible is literal. They just believe it's figurative and they pick and choose what parts they want to be literal. No, I believe all of it is literal. And it's figurative when it's using certain language to interpret it because the Bible is literature and there are places where there's figurative language. But to say that the Bible is figurative or that it can't be trusted. No, that's the lie from Satan in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? Because if the Bible can't be trusted in every place, it can't be trusted in any place. And here Jesus is quoting, talking about a story that happened when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness And he says, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross too. So that was a picture of what was going to happen to Jesus. Now, what's the issue with bronze though? Again, bronze speaks of judgment. Bronze speaks of sin. I love this. There are no mistakes with God. Anybody remember what Revelation chapter 1 and what Revelation chapter 2 have to say about Jesus? feet. His feet were like brass. His feet were like bronze. Now, that could speak of his complexion figuratively, but also from a spiritual place, the bronze and the brass speak of judgment, that on the cross, there's no bronze snake, but there is a bronze savior who was judged so that we would not have to be who was condemned in our place. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when Jesus was on that cross, it was not just the horror of a physical death, but it was the horror of being momentarily separated from God Because he took sin, the sin of the world, on his body. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus was cursed on the cross because of our sin. He was a cursed thing. And the father could not look at him and figuratively or symbolically turn his back to forsake his son. So that he might turn his face towards us and embrace us in as sons and daughters of his. That's the great exchange of the cross. That Jesus became cursed. He became sin on the cross. We want to minimize the cross today. Because again, we want to minimize sin. When you minimize sin and the repercussions of sin in this life and in the life to come, you've minimized the need for the cross. It was a bloody death. It was a horrible death, but it was a spiritual death. Jesus became cursed on the cross. And so he said, just as Moses lifted up that bronze serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, my God. So it would be the lamb who would save us from our toxicity. But listen to this, after years of extensive research, people kept getting bit by snakes all across the country and people were dying from snake bite. Well, after years of extensive research, an anti-venom was released in 2000. And it was called Crotalidae Polyvalent Immune Fab Ovine. In short, Crofab, year 2000. And the FDA approved Crofab uh, as an anti-venom, as something to save lives. And it is comprised, listen to this, you can't make this stuff up. It's comprised of several antigen-binding proteins derived from the blood of sheep. Chauncey taught me this many years ago, that in order to make the antivenom, they have to take some of the venom, the poison, the toxin from these venomous snakes... And they somehow figured out that these sheep would get bit but not die. So let's take something from them, their blood, because there's something in their hemoglobin that stands against the poison of these snakes. So let's use the blood of a lamb, the blood of sheep, in order to come up with a concoction to save the lives of people who have been bitten by toxic snakes. The blood of sheep, not the blood of a dog. Not the blood of an elephant, not the blood of any other animal, the blood of sheep. So when John the Baptist appears, he looks at Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, he got bit with the toxins of sin, but because he is the Lamb of God, he was able to overcome on our behalf. This is why I understand when folks sing about this power in the blood. There's power in the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, He died upon the cross. I know it was the blood for me—the blood that Jesus shed way back on Calvary, it will never, ever lose its power. So today as we close the service, we wanted to have communion and be reminded of the blood that the lamb shed to give us victory over the toxins within us and even around us. Because the Bible lets us know that it's by his stripes or his wounds that we're healed. The Bible lets us know that we overcome the enemy, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. We wouldn't have a testimony without the blood. And so as we stand to our feet, stand to your feet. I want you to thank God for the blood today. You thank God for the fact that Christ became a man, so that he could shed blood. Because the cross is God's solution to all of our toxins, all of our brokenness. I know no other Savior. There's no other place I can look to. I'm so glad that God provided this solution for my mess, your mess, our mess, and the mess in this world. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we get to remember the blood, the body of Jesus. Lord, we worship you and we just say thank you. We thank you that the blood has cleansed us, that we've been forgiven. The blood has empowered us. Oh, God, thank you. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask one member from each family to come and take the elements back and then we'll commune together and then we'll depart. Wait until everyone has been served. He was lifted up for us. Was crushed for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed all of us like sheep have gone astray we've turned our own way but the Lord has laid on him all of our iniquity that's the good news you don't have to pay for your sin your sin's been paid for once and for all by the shed blood and finished work of Jesus Christ That's the gospel. And after he died, he rose from the grave on the third day. The book of Romans says he was raised for our justification. Let's take the bread. God became man so that man could have a relationship with God. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, Fulfilled the law perfectly, healed and ministered to the sick and the broken and the diseased, taught the word of God. But he was lied on and falsely accused. It was a setup, but it was all a part of God's plan from eternity. His disciples fled from him. He was pierced in his hands and in his feet. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Let's remember the body of Jesus together. As we come to the cup, Satan tried to offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world because he did not want Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood. Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood, He got the kingdoms all right, the kingdoms of those who believe in him. So for every believer who knows there's power in the blood, power to forgive, power to cleanse, power to make you right with God, the blood that gives us the victory every day, whether we're in the valley or on the mountaintop, as Mike said, the blood will never lose its power. Let's commune together. stand before you today qualified, not because I'm a good husband or a good father, not because I try to be a good pastor, not because I'm educated, not because I'm an American, not because I'm middle class, I'm qualified today, only because of the blood of Jesus. Would you stand with me now? Sydney, is there a closing announcement? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, an act of humility. Let's stretch our hands to God. Thank you, God. Thank you for making a way. You've been born sinners, and we sin by choice and the wages of sin is death. But thank you that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, help us to live this and believe this gospel every day. That what Jesus did for us was enough, it is enough. And by faith, Lord, we reckon it to be so. So Lord, as we leave this place, but never from your presence. Thank you that you will walk with us and talk with us and tell us that we are your own. And help us not to keep this good news, this serum, this anti-venom to ourselves, but help us to share the, the grace and the love and the mercy of God with others to let them know that, no, we're not perfect, but we know a perfect God who gave us a perfect sacrifice. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks, Mike.